Finishing high school is the end of one chapter and the start of another. While some people leave school not knowing what they want to do with their lives, some have their entire future mapped out, know exactly what they want and know how they plan on getting it. Many people will go on to achieve their goals, but some people's lives may take a totally different path than the one they had planned. The young woman we will be talking about today had her whole life ahead of her until one fateful May evening when she went missing, never to be seen again. Let's uncover the unsolved disappearance of Clashindra Hall. Hello and welcome to the 48th episode of Uncover True Crime Podcast. My name is Stephanie and each week we uncover a different unsolved true crime case ranging from missing persons, unsolved murders, Jane and John Doe's and suspicious deaths. You can listen to the podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and other podcast streaming apps as well as on YouTube by searching Uncover True Crime. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Uncover underscore pod, on Instagram at Uncover True Crime Pod and you can join the Uncover True Crime discussion group on Facebook. Before we get started on today's case, I want to give you a major update that came out on a case just 48 hours before this episode is being released. In episode 16, which was released in May last year, we uncovered the unsolved murder of Beth Doe. And on the 31st of March, Pennsylvania police released that not only have they identified Beth Doe, but they have also arrested the man that they believe murdered her. Beth Doe's real name is Evelyn Colin, who was from Jersey City in New Jersey State. She was only 15 years old when she was murdered. Police have charged 63-year-old Louis Sierra for her murder. He is currently in custody and will be extradited to Carbon County soon so he can face these charges. The Carbon County DA's office refused to release any further information on Wednesday when the announcement was made, but did say that additional information would be released, quote, in the near future. That is literally all the information I have on her case. However, I will keep you updated when new information becomes available. I would also like to thank YouTube user Joshua Rosenblatt for the comment he left on the video I made on Beth Doe's case as that is how I found out that she had been identified. Evelyn is the first Jane Doe that I have covered who has finally been identified and I am so relieved that she finally has her name back and I hope that in the coming months she will also receive justice. And as I said, I will of course keep you updated on any developments in her case. But without any further ado, let's uncover the unsolved disappearance of Clashindra Hall. Clashindra Hall was born on the 30th of March 1976 in Arkansas, and as she preferred to be called Clea, that is how I will refer to her for the rest of the episode. She was said to be very hardworking, sensible, and had a wise head on her shoulders. She was a pupil at Watson Chapel High School and was an excellent student. She was weeks away from graduating with honours and was given a full scholarship to attend Tennessee University so she could get her pre-med degree. Her dream was to become a paediatrician and at 18 years old she was working very hard to achieve that goal, having already secured a summer internship in Boston. Before she even graduated high school, she was thinking about how she would support herself during college. So she got herself a job working at a non-profit that supported in-home daycare centres. Her boss, Dr Larry Amos, worked from an office in his home and Clea was essentially his PA, mainly performing administrative duties. While Clea was a very sensible young woman, she did know how to have fun and had just attended her senior prom. 
Everything in Clea's life seemed to be going right, and I have no doubt that she would have become a very successful woman and doctor. However, she would go missing before she or her family could see any of her dreams come true. Clea had a very busy yet fulfilling weekend right before she disappeared. On Friday the 6th of May 1994, she attended her senior prom. The following day, she had gone to a sorority ball, and then that Sunday was Mother's Day. The Hall family assumed that everything would return to normal on Monday the 9th of May, and as per their normal routine, Clea's mother Laurel dropped her off at Larry Amos's house around 6 o'clock, which was located just a few blocks away from their own house in Pine Bluffs, Arkansas. Usually, Clea would call her mother from Larry's phone to tell her when she had finished her shift, and her mum would come back and drive her home. That evening, Clea called her mum around 8pm to ask if anyone had tried to call her, and Laurel confirmed that they hadn't. Clea told her mother that she wasn't quite finished her work yet, but would call her when she was ready to be picked up, and the call ended. Laurel sat by the phone waiting for her daughter's call, but at some time during the evening, she fell asleep. Laurel remained asleep on the couch until her husband and Clea's father, Willie, woke her up when he returned from work at quarter to one the next morning, which is when Laurel realised that Clea had never called them back to pick her up. Flustered, she calls Dr Amos, who told her that Clea had left in a car around half past eight. Although this would have been out of character for Clea, Laurel told NBC, quote, I'm thinking, okay, she's never done this before, but she's a teenager and she's 18, about to graduate, so maybe she's decided that she's going to flex her independent muscles, unquote. She stayed up all night waiting for Clea to walk through the door, expecting to get her into trouble when she came home, but anger turned into fear when Clea never walked through the door. In the morning, Laurel called the police, but they told her that she would have to wait 24 hours before filing a missing persons report. I'm sure that people who regularly consume true crime content have heard this line dozens of times, and while I can't speak for individual police department policies back in 1994, I can categorically tell you now that you do not have to wait any length of time before reporting someone as a missing person. This rule applies to most countries, so if you are ever encouraged to wait a day or so before reporting someone as a missing person, do not listen to them. Be a total Karen, ask to speak to their supervisor, do whatever you have to do to get that report filed. As someone who has had to report more than one person missing on several occasions and has actually had a family member of mine go missing who thankfully was found, I feel very strongly about this and it really saddens me to know that some people still believe this myth. You do not have to wait any length of time, you do not have to be that person's next of kin, you don't even have to be the last person known to see them. If you don't know where someone is and you have concerns for their welfare, you can report them as missing. Anyway, thank you for attending my TED talk. Let's get back to Clea's case. When her younger brother went to school that day, he searched the corridors for her, hoping that she had just been too scared to return home after staying out all night, but he couldn't find her. He kept asking the office if she had registered that day until they relented and confirmed that she hadn't. Laurel and Willie were finally able to report their daughter as missing, and that's when the so-called investigation into her disappearance began. 
It took the police a few days to actually investigate Clea's case as they thought she was just being a rebellious teenager, despite the fact that anyone who knew her could have told them that that was just not who she was. The whole family did not sit on their hands though and they started putting up missing persons posters all around Pine Bluffs, Arkansas. When police did start looking into her case, they spoke to her fellow classmates and friends but no one admitted to seeing Clea and it took them two weeks to search Dr Amos's office. Laurel Hall has expressed frustration over how long this took and while I can totally understand and appreciate this frustration, I can kind of understand how that happened. I don't know if police applied for a warrant to search the home, but I don't think they would have been given one due to the lack of evidence and they couldn't just rock up to the house and ask to go inside as Dr Amos left the day after Clea went missing to go on a business trip to Texas. When he returned and police were able to look inside the property, there were no signs of foul play, which is hardly surprising. Larry Amos's story stayed the same, but one of Clea's colleagues had a different account of what happened that night. She said that Larry had offered Clea a lift home, but she had said no and told one of her co-workers that she was going to walk home instead, which was very unusual for her as her parents always picked her up from work. There is doubt over whether Clea actually intended to walk home though. Some believe that the co-worker simply misheard her, or that perhaps she didn't want anyone to see who was actually picking her up so had arranged for them to meet her away from the front of the home, but in any event it didn't quite line up with the accounts given by Dr Amos. The more the police learned about Clea, the more they were convinced that she didn't simply run off. This was a young woman with a very bright future ahead of her and who by all counts had never done anything like this before, so they started to suspect that she had met with foul play. They theorised that someone had indeed picked her up and whoever it was was responsible for her disappearance but they were never able to identify the car that she had gotten into that night and there were no witnesses that saw her after she left Dr Amos's house. They theorised that someone had indeed picked her up that night and whoever that person was was responsible for her disappearance. They were never able to identify any car that she may have gotten into and there were no witnesses that saw her after she left Dr Amos's house. Although given that there were other people in the home when she left, the police are confident that she did in fact leave Dr Amos's house. Despite police claiming that they had several persons of interest in her case, the leads soon dried up as there was literally no evidence in her case. With all that being said, let's get into the theories and as like all theories we discuss on this podcast, they are all pure speculation. The first and most obvious theory in the case is that Dr Larry Amos had something to do with Clea's disappearance. Laurel Hall is said to believe that he was involved and apparently the police also suspected him. In 2012, a construction worker contacted police and told them that he saw blood spatter on insulation within Dr Amos's home when he did work there in the late 90s. Another construction worker claims to have smelled a quote, foul odour, unquote, in the home around the same time period. As a result, police were able to get a search warrant for his house. They entered Dr Amos's house with search dogs and radar equipment and left with four evidence bags. However, these bags were not taken to the lab for testing because the crime scene technician couldn't be bothered to walk a block to the crime scene investigation truck where the evidence should have gone and opted to put it in the boot of his car instead 
as it was at the end of the Amos driveway. He didn't even lock in as evidence and it stayed in his car until the following day. The Hall family were understandably anxious to learn if any of the items seized in the home would aid in their daughter's case and repeatedly called the chief of police for updates. They were told that there must have been some sort of delay in the laboratory and they were assured they would have the results back soon, but this was a lie. Turns out the evidence was never turned over to the lab, leaving Willie and Laurel furious and convinced that the police were deliberately botching the investigation. The police have denied any sort of cover-up and claim that no evidence of foul play in Clea's case was found in Dr Amos's home, but there is a lot of reason to doubt them. I don't know why the evidence wasn't turned over to the lab when the technician finally decided to hand it in, but even if there was something incriminating in those evidence bags, it is possible that it wouldn't be admissible in trial anyway. The defence could have argued that there was possible cross-contamination, that the chain of custody rules were broken, or that the evidence had been planted there. And it's very possible that the police knew this, so chose to tell the halls that nothing was found, because if they had told them that significant evidence was found on those items, such as Clea's hair or DNA, they would then have to admit that they had lost the only real evidence in her case. I want to make it clear that I have no evidence saying that something was found on the item seized in Dr Amos's house, but I also don't trust the police's word either, given that they had already lied to the whole family once. As I mentioned earlier, some of Larry Amos's employees saw Clea leaving that night, but only Larry claims to have actually seen her getting into a car, although I couldn't find a description of this car. Having other employees in his house would give him a solid alibi, but I can understand why people might be hesitant to daub in their employee to the police, scared that they could lose their jobs and their livelihood. Again, I am not saying this is what happened, but since Dr Larry Amos left the state the next day to go to Texas, I wonder if he had a seemingly valid reason to leave his house that night. Like maybe he needed to go to the shop to buy something for his trip or whatever, and that's maybe when he caught up with Clea. I would be very interested to know if police checked Larry Amos's phone records, because if she didn't call her mother to pick her up, who did she call? It is very possible that Clea had her own phone, although I was never able to find anything that confirmed this. But even if she did, I don't know if police checked those records either. It was very unusual for Clea to have walked home, despite her house being nearby. And it seems like a hell of a coincidence that the one night she did decide to walk home, that that would be the night she disappeared. Although it is possible that she just happened across the wrong stranger. Another possibility that police looked into when Clea disappeared was that a male student at her school could have been involved in her disappearance. The male, whose name has never been publicly released, was thought to be Clea's boyfriend, but I don't know why they thought this or if Clea's parents were aware if she even had a boyfriend. I'm also not sure why they suspected him in the first place, but police asked him to do a polygraph test. The results were inconclusive and nothing came out of the search of his car, but when the detectives asked Larry Amos to do a polygraph test, he refused. I don't think that an inconclusive test or Larry's refusal to do one proves anything, as I personally have no faith in those tests at all. There are no other publicly known leads in Clea's case, and her family are still searching for answers 27 years later. Willie and Laurel Hall have placed pink bows all around their neighbourhood in Pine Bluffs, Arkansas to keep their daughter's case in people's minds and hope that one day they will lead her back home. Her mother said, quote, We're still searching. It's been 26 years, and 26 years is a long time not to know anything. 
If we could just get one tip, one clue, we might be able to break the case open. She was someone that had a light that meant something. She had goals and she had dreams just like everybody else. And our family had dreams and goals for her too. And so somewhere, we're missing out on seeing what our lives could have been." Unquote. I'm now going to go over Clea's description and vital statistics. Clea Hall was 18 years old when she went missing on the 9th of May 1994. She was an African-American female, stood at around 5 foot 8 or 5 foot 9 inches tall, had a slender build and weighed 120 pounds. She had black hair, brown eyes, a chipped front tooth and a surgical scar on her left knee. Her ears were pierced, she was known to wear hair extensions and press-on nails and was right-handed. When she was last seen, she was wearing a white blouse with navy blue stripes, white shorts with large navy blue polka dots, white socks, white sneakers, small stud earrings and a white bow tying her hair up. If Clea is still alive today, she would be 45 years old. If you have any information on Clea's disappearance, please call the Pine Bluff Police Department on 870-543-5111. All photos and sources related to today's case can be found on our website, uncovertruecrimepodcast.co.uk. That's everything I have for you today. Thank you for listening to the very end. Please stay safe and have a good night.